Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And as always, we are broadcasting this episode of Bikes and Big Ideas from Crested Butte, Colorado. And again, after we get past our current world of travel restrictions and sheltering in place, and it actually seems like some of these travel restrictions and the like might start relaxing a bit. We'll see. Anyway, once they do, we hope that you will come spend some time on our amazing network of trails here in the Gunnison Valley because the trails around here are starting to get into really, really good shape. Just saying. Okay, now, two years ago, we posted the initial edition of Bikes vs. Skis over on our Gear 30 podcast, and that was episode number 21. This is something that Noah Bodman and I had kind of been doing off and on for quite a while, basically from time to time asking one another which bike company is currently most like which ski company. And the word currently is really important here because companies rise and fall and evolve over time. And so given that, we were interested to see just how similar or how different our answers would be two years later now. So that's the idea. And given the name of this podcast and that it often seems like we're talking about big ideas and then on occasion some dumb ideas, well, we're happy to say that this conversation probably, if we have to go with one or the other, falls on the side of dumb ideas. And yet, I would still maintain that this is a pretty interesting conversation and it's kind of a hard exercise to stop thinking about the whole bike company and ski company parallels once you get started. And finally, I also do actually believe that these bike and ski analogies are somewhat useful in terms of taking stock of these different brands and their current situations and their future trajectories. Now, we've also expanded the number of participants here today, so it's not just Noah and me. We are also joined by Blister reviewers David Golay and Eric Friesen, and we definitely want to hear from you to see where you agree with us and maybe where you disagree, or who out there can come up with the better, more accurate analogies here. And so, again, we're going to do this in two parts. And here in part one, we're going to focus on some bigger questions and conversations and parallels and ask things like, which bike company do most bike brands secretly wish they could trade places with? And so be sure to let us know your own answers to some of these questions in the comments section of the show notes to this episode on our website. And in part two, we will then share some of your comments and incorporate some of your questions and the like. And we're gonna kind of move faster through a number of the parallels of, you know, the thing like which ski company is most similar to say Pivot or Trek or YT or Specialized or Yeti or Santa Cruz or Revel, etc. So that is how it works. And again, if you want to listen to the original edition of Bikes vs. Skis from two years ago, 
You can find that on our Gear 30 podcast. It's episode number 21. And so with all of that out of the way, let's get to my conversation with David Golay, Noah Bodman, and Eric Friesen. Here we go. Well, gentlemen, here we are revisiting the age-old question of which ski companies are like which bike companies. You know, we kind of figured when Noah and I did this a couple years ago, I knew we were going to come back to this, but um, I suspect that this conversation will be enhanced by having a couple other voices in here. And so we'll do this kind of in two parts And I'm curious to see how similar or different our answers look from the last time Noah and I handed down the definitive pronouncements on this topic. So with that, let's dive into some of these kind of more general questions before we turn to the actual, this company is like that company stuff. So David Golay, I'm going to let you kick things off for us. Which bike company is, in your opinion, offering the most bike for the money right now? I think the company that's kind of doing that on the mountain bike side, most completely across their whole line that spans a pretty big range of bikes is Comensal. They're, they've made a pivot to doing things direct to consumer mostly, and they have a bunch of really, really good bikes with incredibly impressive part specs for the money. And then the one other company I want to shout out who only has one model right now, but it's also doing something really impressive on that front is Privateer. They've got only the 161, which is kind of their take on a, uh, well, like the name would suggest, sort of a Enduro race bike for a Privateer, someone who's not trying to spend a huge amount of money on the most blingy thing, but just wants a really functional race bike and their more basic build on it is just over three grand for the complete bike but comes with some really good suspension parts a little bit lower end drivetrain and things that don't matter quite as much and looks like a really exceptionally good value noah bodman what do you think yeah i mean i can't really disagree with that you know there's there's a few other companies you could throw in the mix there's yt and a couple of these other direct consumer brands and uh I, I think there's a a few of the the bigger players are actually that they've been doing a pretty good job of putting out respectable bikes for reasonable prices the last couple of years. But but yeah, I, I mean I would have said Commonsall. That that was the first one that sprang to my mind. Eric Friesen. Sam, I don't really have much wow. to offer here. Wow. The trifecta of agreement. I thought for sure that that would actually get into a more contentious answer for some reason. But um, Comensal seems to be the unanimous choice. So, I mean, or Comensal and YT's on the podium. All right. On the ski side of things then, what ski company would you say is currently offering the most ski for the money? I think it's really hard to draw an equivalence because there are skis that are really expensive but then in like the, the sort of whatever normal ski category, there's not that much differentiation on price, really. Like, you know, you, you spend 
700 bucks on a ski and there's, you know, the, the world is your oyster. Whereas on bikes, I, I see much more variation between brands on pricing. Yeah, I think there's something to that, though. Um, a couple people that I would shout out for that one would be um, Forefront and Jay, who, like, Noah's point, I think, is broadly correct, that there's not as much differentiation in kind of the normal ski range, but those are two companies that are doing the direct-to-consumer thing and are like, probably largely, in due to that, are able to offer things a little bit cheaper than a lot of the other companies are doing for their kind of normal range stuff, and they make a bunch of really good skis. Friesen, thoughts? Uh, I would basically echo what David said. Um, but poor Front and Jay were kind of what I was thinking as you were asking the question with the, the direct-to-consumer sort of sales model. But I'm also going to throw another company in there, and I'm mostly doing this just to get a rise out of you. Uh, but I believe 333 Skis is still manufacturing <laughs> product. <laughs> and uh, hard to imagine getting more ski for your dollar than a $333 pair of skis. So maybe worth considering. After a month or so, you end up with with two sets of skis. Oh, <laughs> true. They, yeah. they multiply. It's more like two sets of ski blades, but yeah. You know. Still counts. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, Eric, I'm not going to take the bait. We're oh. just going to move on. Um, second question, and I'm going to leave it exactly the way that we talked about this back in 2018. Um what is the cool kids bike company of the moment? And to be clear, I don't mean this as a pejorative term. I actually kind of mean this as like, yeah, no, like the actual cool kids are gravitating toward this brand. Though I suppose if you want to use it as a pejorative term, you're welcome to. David Goulet, what do you got? There's probably a little bit of regional bias at play here since I live in the Pacific Northwest, but uh, around here it's transition. They've got just a ton of people in the area on their bikes and a ton of really, really good riders out there on them. And the people who are riding them seem really psyched about the bikes. And um, they've kind of got this sort of fun vibe and um, branding to the whole company, too. They have their Party in the Woods moniker, and the brand does a really good job of showing up at local events and encouraging shenanigans by handing out tons of booze and so on. And uh, they just have a fun thing going and they're the answer, at least in my neck of the woods. Noah. I, I mean, how do you really define what the cool kids or who the cool kids are? Cause I mean, so many of the people that think <laughs> they're the cool kids, like they're kind of douchebags. True. And so, so like they think they're the cool kids on the cool kids brand and, and this is where I'm like coughing Yeti under my breath. Uh, but, you know, like, are they really the cool kids or do they just think they're cool? So, yeah, I don't know. Transition is, is you know, maybe depending on how you define cool kids. They do kind of think they're cool, though. They're like treading dangerously into into trying too hard to be the cool kids brand. Um, whereas originally the transition is just like they did their thing and, and 
it seemed to work for them and it seemed like they were having fun, but now it's like they're consciously having fun and like trying really hard to make sure that everybody knows that they're having fun. So, but you know, I'm giving them a pass. I think they're all right. And honestly, like, you know, there's a lot of like, just man, really cool people riding common souls, but you know, wrapping back to our previous question, I think, you know, you make your bikes affordable, you make them good, you spec them well. And a lot of people who are just kind of in it to ride bikes and are just having a good time riding bikes, they end up buying your bikes because they're affordable and they're good bikes. And then you become cool because people have them. Does that, I don't even know if that makes sense. So that's a rambling, shitty answer. <laughs> the thing with Coleman Saul is that I see bafflingly few people riding them because like I just said, I think they make a bunch of really good bikes and have exceptionally good values, but I don't ever actually see them out in the wild, which makes no sense to me. I see them around a bit, but doesn't that make them cooler because they're like rare? Like if everybody has it, it's not cool. Like a specialized stump jumper isn't cool because every freaking guy at the trailhead has a stump jumper or, you know, a high tower, you know, whatever the, the $5,000 everybody buys it kind of bike. Yeah, that's fair. But I think like, at least around here, it seems like the comments, there are so few comments all that they don't even have enough momentum to become cool in that way. If that makes any sense. Like there's just, they're just not a presence. Eric, jump in here. I think I've got a pretty good answer for this one. I think the uh, the two brands that I would identify as like the cool kid brands of the moment would be uh, Forbidden Bikes as well as Gorilla Gravity Bikes. When I see um, you know people just sort of humble bragging about what they're riding this season or you know whatever they might be doing, it's very often right now either a Forbidden or a Gorilla Gravity. So that's final answer. Yeah, forbidden especially is a really good answer for that. Uh, that's a good call. Yeah, I, I I like those. When I had uh, when I was on the gorilla gorilla gravity last year, the trail pistol and the smash, a lot of people were real interested in those the trailhead and and like it was so obvious that I was cooler <laughs> because <laughs> I had that bike with me. So yeah, I I like that one. I haven't. I haven't gone to a trailhead with a forbidden yet, but I would imagine that uh, people, would, people would fawn all over me if I had one of those. And I do think that gets, and by the way, none of us actually care like what you ride and we like- I mean, I care a, a little bit. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Shut the fuck up, Noah. Just try to say productive <laughs> things. Um like none of us actually care, but I do think this is kind of the whole point of this conversation is a little bit like putting your finger to the wind and kind of seeing what's what. And we are, I think, kind of trying to identify trends, you know, in that type of thing. And so, Noah, when you and I had this conversation two years ago, our answer was evil at the time. And, you know, I think like it's not necessarily to say evil's not cool now, but it these things definitely this question identifies a certain moment in time. And do you guys like either transition as an answer or gorilla gravity as an answer for the cool kids over evil now? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. 
Evil's bikes haven't changed a whole lot since the last time we had this discussion. And, you know, cool things are only cool for that momentary instant. You know, coolness doesn't last. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's a little bit like discovering the new band, right? And it's like, oh, you're not up on so-and-so yet? Or like, you know, I don't know. I guess that's what we're talking about. Friesen, do you have anything else worth saying here? Uh, evil is dangerously close to going the way of Yeti in the sense that everybody that's not as cool has figured out that it is the cool thing, which dilutes its coolness. And probably evil and Yeti would say, that's just fine because we're doing well right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they're going to complain about selling more bikes yep. than being the coolest kid. So, All right then. So moving this over to the ski world, what's the cool kid's ski company of the moment? OM3P. David? Yeah, that's not a bad answer. Moment has a, a place there too, though kind of like some of what we talked about with transition, they've maybe been in the spot of being the cool kids a little bit too long and being the cool kids is a little bit ephemeral. Well, I think that goes for ON3P too. Uh, you know, they've been the cool kids brand for a few years now. Uh, and, and yeah, same with Moment. But yeah, I, I agree that they're kind of more equivalent to transition. It's It's some smaller more interesting brand that's the equivalent of forbidden or gorilla gravity for that matter i don't know who that is though i think i'd go with j skis as being one of the the cool kid ski brands of the moment um i think they do a pretty good job of positioning themselves in that way and a lot of the younger rippers that i see that you know are are kind of your upper and comers oftentimes are, are sporting a pair so it was interesting two years ago our answer was evil on the bike side well it was we talked about evil and transition and then on the ski side we talked about on3p um and so freeson's throwing in j skis and i'm pretty happy for today with on3p and j in two years ago, we had Black Crows on the ski side, and I think I would stick with ON3P or J Skis, you know, for 2020. Yeah, Black Crows is like the evil now that it's like everybody's figured out that they're cool, and so everybody has it, so they're not cool anymore. A little bit. I mean, and this sounds wildly unfair to these companies, and it kind of is, but, you know, again, these flash moments in time, if anything, I think it's props to ON3P for, I think, legitimately kind of hanging in there, unless you hate the cool kids, in which case, <laughs> fuck ON3P. All right, next question. If you took a poll of all the owners of all the bike companies, would there end up being a consensus pick for which company they're most jealous of or which company they'd most like to kind of they'd want to be like or change places with not simply in terms of how profitable the company currently is, but in terms of one doing well financially plus two reputation slash status among riders third, their current position in the market and four 
their current trajectory, i.e. where they're headed, kind of who has the brightest future. So this is a very convoluted four-part question, at least probably like a six-part question. Santa Cruz, for sure. Uh, like, and I'm pretty sure that was my answer last time too, but um, it was, you, you know, and they're still on their upward trajectory. They've, they've come out with a whole bunch of new bikes in the last couple of years, while they're not necessarily the, the small cool kids brand that you have to be in the know to know about, like everybody friggin' knows about Santa Cruz, but I think they generally have a good reputation. I think, uh, yeah, they're well thought of by riders. I think as far as I can tell, they're doing very well financially. Uh, they keep making good moves. You know, they come out with their line of wheels. That's been successful. They just came out with an e-bike, which I'm assuming they're going to sell a billion of, and those things are going to take over the world. Um, but yeah, they, they still seem like they're doing really well in my eyes. Yeah. I think that's a good answer in terms of all of the stuff Noah said they're well-regarded and doing well, et cetera. The knock against them would be that they're not independently owned by the original founders anymore. They've got corporate overlords who are running the show at this point. And so if you're a smaller independent brand, I can see not being jealous of them in that particular regard. If you want to factor that in a bit more and give that some more weight, I think Transition's a pretty good answer for another company that's for sure not as big as Santa Cruz, but again, clearly doing well, well well-regarded, and it's still the original guys owning it, and they're kind of just able to do their own thing as a result. Friesen? Uh, I think pretty clearly the answer here would be Ellsworth Bikes. (laughs) (laughs) Now they have corporate overlords now, too. Oh, no. Yeah, I oh, think that God. happened in, in, I don't know, didn't they go through like multiple bankruptcies? And so, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think the ownership Several. interest got spun off of it. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely, I think it's pretty hard to, especially if you're waiting uh, financials, I think it's hard to argue with Santa Cruz. I think you could make a case for Yeti um, to tie in a little bit more to what, David is mm-hmm. is saying as well with you know kind of maintaining ownership, but I think Yeti's current position and even more importantly current trajectory probably are not nearly as strong as Santa Cruz's. So while they're I again I'm not looking at their financials. I would guess they're doing pretty well financially and they certainly have a strong reputation and a high level of status. Um, it's a little bit harder to see. Yeti's path to uh, continued kind of, you know, double digit growth year over year as compared to Santa Cruz. It's actually pretty impressive because I was, you know, as you guys started offering your answers, I was going to kind of throw out these specific, like who's doing well financially, whose reputation is good, good, solid, strong position, and just focus on trajectory, right? Like, who's got the biggest upside? So it's pretty remarkable that Santa Cruz, I mean, Friesen, in your opinion, you might, you would answer, they've got the current position and still has kind of the biggest upside of any company out there. I guess, is that fair, Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think you could, in terms of trajectory, you could pit specialized against 
Santa Cruz as kind of, you know, in, in my mind, sort of the the long-standing bike company with the uh, the most aggressive upward trajectory in terms of selling more units, taking over more market share, and offering a, a diversified portfolio of products. But Santa Cruz has, you know, I think arguably better a better rep and and a more desirable status, um, which gives you room to grow and kind of it makes them a bit more of a rising star, even though, you know, in terms of bikes sold, you know, they're a, they're a big company for sure. I really thought, I mean, it was interesting that you come in with specialized. I would have thought this is where, and maybe David or Noah wants to make this case to identify a much smaller company, like maybe a pretty tiny company where one of you might say five years from now, 10 years from now, we think this company's going to have like really blown up. Does any, do any smaller brands like that or companies, who would you, if you had to buy stock, right? Whose stock would you want to buy? David? Gorilla Gravity would be super high on my list for that. Mm-hmm. I think they're kind of on the leading edge of blowing up. I know when they rolled out their new carbon revved frame platform a year and a half ago, whatever that was, they demand greatly exceeded what they expected it to be. They only made two sizes for quite a while because they just couldn't even keep up with demand for the two middle of the range sizes and just said, all right, screw it. We're going to focus on those for a while and try to get our heads back above water on this. They're seemingly doing super, super well. And uh, I think have a ton of potential to keep growing very fast. Noah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I can disagree with that. I've kind of been racking my brain here to think of all the small bike brands and just in terms of like potential energy, I'm not sure any of them exceed Gorilla Gravity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they've, uh, you know, they, they, they've existed for a while and they kind of built their cult following. But man, like David said, when they came out with that carbon platform, like they just took off and and i i don't really see that slowing down anytime real soon you know now it's right around the time where obviously they need to be kind of planning their next steps you know they can't let uh the situation stagnate but it seems like you know they're pretty committed over there and and i think i might actually i I would have, if we're talking about smaller brands with a lot of potential, um, I would throw out Revel Bikes uh, as as being someone that I would probably look to be buying stock in, based on you know who is who is on that design team and sort of surrounding that brand, as well as being a relatively new brand which already seems to be gaining a, a pretty good rep. Um, and a lot of potential for growth with only two models right now. They seem like a, a brand that, you know, in the next five years probably is going to get quite a bit bigger pretty quickly. So you'd probably be able to buy Revel stock cheaper today than Gorilla Gravity. And so you're going to wager on, I'm going to pay less right now and maybe get a similar return. I would agree. It's a it's a good time to enter that market. It's funny. Now, thinking about this on the ski side, I kind of feel like 
this is less obvious to me on the ski side, but I'll let you guys go first and then I can kind of weigh in. We're going to just run this whole kind of question back. Um, So the first question is, you know, a bit more of just any company. You like their position today. They've got a great reputation. They do still have room to grow. And then we'll kind of do what we, like we just did here. Like who's the smaller company that you think has the most upside? David, what ski company comes to mind for that first question of you like their, like the financial situation, current position, reputation, and trajectory? A pretty strong answer for that. If we're kind of looking for an, an analog to uh, Santa Cruz here, which would be sort of company that's not quite one of the very biggest out there, but pretty big, doing really well and just doing their thing and seemingly in a very solid position. I think uh, Blizzard is actually a very good answer for that. They're a pretty major player, but they seem to be doing great. They've got a very coherent and sensible line that's well-regarded. And I don't, they're maybe not the strongest answer for having the room for massive, massive growth, but for just a company that's well-established and trucking along and doing really well, they feel pretty good to me. Noah? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of struggle with this just because on the ski side of things, it's like you, you sort of need this you need a company that both has like the the coolness factor, but also the the funding and the capability to scale their production up uh, pretty enormously. And I I kind of see that as something that Black Crows has done, um, but I'm not sure I see it as something that can really expand a whole lot more. And so mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. I'm I'm struggling to come up with a company that I see as as having both that coolness and kind of a a, a broader appeal, so that if they do scale up production and you know if they can make a hundred thousand pairs of skis or or I don't even know what the numbers would be, but you know if they can they can make a ton of skis, they need to have the audience to buy those skis. So it's like they need to like Santa Cruz manages. They're they're both cool enough, but they're also their appeal is pretty broad. You know, they can sell bikes to kind of whoever, yep. and so like ON three P, like like you're not gonna sell those skis to kind of the average gaper. Uh, like it's just not their thing, and I don't really see them trying to broaden their appeal into that market or scale their production into that into that realm. And so, uh, but like Black Crows did successfully do that. You know, they were kind of like this small sort of cool company that scaled their production. And now there's all kinds of idiots skiing around on those things. But, but yeah, I don't see, I don't see another company right now that's like poised for that leap. Um, you know, I think Blizzard, like they're a great company, like David said, and, and I think they'll continue to do well. But I don't see them sort of stepping out of the box that they're currently in. Mm-hmm. Freeson. Yeah, I don't know that I, I don't have like an answer that I would throw out with a whole lot of, of confidence. Um, and I'm not in tune enough with the real, real small brands to make the case for any of them, really. Um, yeah. My answer to this 
was actually Blizzard. And now, two years ago, our answer was Nordica. And, you know, I still think Nordica is doing a nice job two years later, but I kind of do think Blizzard is the right answer. I think it's a tricky one. I definitely think that, so I'm in agreement, like when Eric's like, I'm not really sure, I think that's kind of the right answer. But the thing that I really like about what Blizzard is doing right now, and I've talked about this, is they've really clarified their lineup really well. They've got kind of four distinct lineups, right? So you've got, and there's kind of, you know, lineups within lineups, like on their race side, but you've got the race segment going on, and that's real clear. You've got the kind of all-mountain free ride thing with the the Brahmas and the Cochise in it. You've got the Rustler series, which is a little more playful and a little bit lighter. And then you've got their touring line. And I think there is very little confusion about, so it's like, hey, you only ski the backcountry? Cool, we've got you covered. Or you only like ripping groomers? Cool, come over here. And I, I think that, very clear differentiation is a is a smart thing to have right now um, in this day and age. And again, if you're you want to do a little bit of touring and a little bit in the resort, look at some of the rustler skis. So I really like their their clarity along those lines. And I think it's interesting. Nordica doesn't offer anything on the touring side. And I'm totally okay with that, you know? But when we are asking this specific question about whose current market position do you like the best, I do think that hurts them a little bit. You know, I, I think the exciting thing for the ski world is I actually think the right answer could still emerge over the next season or two or three, because I do think bigger brands like K2 are in play. I think Atomic and Solomon and Rosignal, these are brands that are all in play but I think that the, if I wasn't going to say Blizzard right now, I might actually go with Vocal. And for the primary reason, I mean, Vocal's been around forever, but they've got that same pretty coherent collection going on. I think it's extremely coherent, actually. And I think that right now I'm kind of giving bonus points for that clarity in the lineup. So that's my take for what it's worth. Any responses to that before moving into the like who's the smaller company that we think has upside and i think that makes sense and and you know i was kind of thinking a little bit about vocal only because i feel like they've they've managed to take a pretty stead, steady downward trajectory for a number of years so they've yeah. really left themselves a lot of room to go back up uh, yeah. And they've been there before. Yeah, I think that's right. And and um, I do think they kind of, there was a dip. And I kind of think they're, I think they're kind of finding their way again. And this is super subjective now. And this is also why I said, I think if K2 were to emerge or an Atomic or a Solomon, et cetera, I think a lot of companies could emerge. But I, so if there's the most telling thing we're saying right now is, we don't think there is the clear answer to this question. Speaking of unclear answers to questions, let's go with the like, just looking at upside now. So we're probably talking about a smaller company analogous to a Revel um, or to a Gorilla Gravity. 
David, if you had to provide an answer or maybe you really like your answer. Yeah, I don't have one that I love here for kind of the reasons that Noah talked about around ON3P. Like it feels like most of the kind of smaller core brands that are doing well at what they do don't have kind of the potential to break into an totally new segment of the market and explode in that kind of way. Like what Noah said, I mean, ON3P is doing their thing and they're good at it. And there are a lot of people who are justifiably into what they're doing, but you know, they're not going to start making race skis and a whole big, like full lineup in the same kind of way that the really big players are. I just don't see that happening. And I think that sort of same kind of thing is true for most of the solidly established, but relatively small companies that I can think of. So I don't have a good answer for this one. Noah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mostly agree. I think the, I'm not sure I can say, well, I was going to say moment, but I'm not sure that I can say moment in the same kind of sentence as like a gorilla gravity or a rebel because they're clearly a bigger brand. But, but I, I do think moment is a awful lot smaller than, you know, a Nordica or a vocal. They're, they're still a smaller brand, but I, I can kind of see some similarities between moment and like Santa Cruz 15 years ago, where they're sort of ramping up their production. They're fine tuning their lineup. They're making their skis more palatable to a wider audience while still maintaining kind of the core attributes that made them popular in the first place. So Mm -hmm. I don't think it will be easy for them to kind of step out into the bigger realm and and become like a Santa Cruz where they're legitimately uh, on par with the biggest players. But they're the company that I would say maybe has the most, has has the best chance at it. And and they started as a very small company. So it sort of works. (laughs) Friesen, what do you got? Oh, again, in the kind of the realm of sort of works, I was trying to, as those guys were talking, formulate a case for Armada in my head to make that argument. I don't know that I, I have a great case for them, but they seem to have the uh, the geographic location, the marketing prowess, usually like some pretty strong design and a a brand and a name that people outside of uh, freestyle are aware of that might allow them to, to grow pretty significantly and transition into other markets. But, you know, it doesn't seem like they're very interested in doing that. And I think that would be a big push for them to do anyways, but just kind of another, another brand that hasn't been mentioned yet. That seems like if they put some, a heavy lift into it would have the potential to uh, diversify quite a bit and probably grab a fair bit of market share. Okay. I think the correct answer is moment. Um, Especially if we're thinking out, like think 10 years from right now and I've got, you know, we got to buy stock in one of these companies. I think moment would be my, my choice but honestly, if it wasn't, the other company that I'm thinking about um, is actually DPS. 
Um, I think a lot of the cool indie brands, and there's a lot of them out there, and they're making a lot of good product. But I feel like a lot of those are still on the too small. You know, like it's too early, too early to be like, oh yeah, they've already caught this fire for the the big upside swing and we see it coming. And so Noah already spoke about moment and I'm I'm in agreement with that. And I think they are, they've kind of already caught, they're kind of on that path. DPS, I think, you know, they aren't new. They've been around, you know, there's been some reshuffling, but if they played their cards right, if moment's not the right answer to this question, I think DPS is. All right, um, next question. We The way we phrased this two years ago was, who is the bike equivalent of Kessley or Stokely? Which is to say, as a generalization, Kessley and Stokely owners tend to think that they are definitely skiing on the finest ski in the world, and they look down on people who own something like a Vocal Mantra or a Blizzard Brahma, and if they see you on a pair of moments, you definitely are not allowed to date their daughter. That is exactly the way that I phrased this question two years ago. I, I don't. We can debate some of the brand choices here, but um, so I guess the way to paraphrase this question is: What poor company tends to have the most stuck-up people riding on their bikes? Is that the? That's the. That way, you see what I did there. We didn't put it on the company, just the stuck-up people riding this stuff. There you go. That's very diplomatic of me, I think. Anyway, I think you get the gist. David, what do you got? So I think this one's interesting because this is kind of a big swing from what you guys talked about two years ago, but there's a very real place for evil here in that, like we talked about earlier a little bit, they were kind of the cool kids a few years ago. And I think there is now a big contingent of people who are not cool, who bought in on evils after seeing them be the cool kids and have decided that their evils are the pinnacle of bicycle technology and are uh, just cannot be improved upon as it, this is anecdotal obviously, but as a, an example of this, this was a while ago now, probably a year or so, but uh, I at one point was pedaled up to the top of a trail around here that I have ridden probably literally a hundred times on my hardtail and there was a guy on an evil reckoning waiting at the, to drop in at the top of it. And he attempted to dissuade me from dropping this trail on my hardtail because he was convinced that it was just entirely too gnarly to ride on a hardtail and that I should go somewhere else. Noah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's certainly the argument you made for evil or Yeti or, or some of those brands, but really I think, to, to the heart of this question, the bike equivalent of Kessley or Stokely, it's the guy that rides like at least five days a week. He has an immaculate bike that he cleans all the time and it's in perfect working order, but he's riding on 26 inch wheels and he's a dick about it because he's going <laughs> to look, he's going to look at your new equipment and say that it's crap. And he's going to say, ah, you know, there's, whatever his excuse is for why two niners make the trail too easy or they make the bike too hard to ride or he can't go around a corner or something, something, something. And then 
in the next breath, he's going to complain about how you can't get good tires for 26-inch wheels anymore. But 26-inch wheels are still the way of the future, and they're going to make a comeback. That is the same as the guy that's still skiing on Stokely Storm Riders and convinced that they're the best ski ever made. This is an amazing argument you've presented. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sorry. It doesn't get to a specific brand. You know, it could be anything with 26-inch wheels. Uh, it's probably an Ellsworth. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Such an unfortunate coincidence. Well done, Noah. That was a fantastic answer. Right up to the very end. Throw my stupid name under the bus. Um, Friesen, what do you got? Uh, I think Kesley is too intense as Stokely is to foes. Those are the, the two that I would draw, where Intense has done a better job of trying to kind of stick with trends to the extent that they've kind of overdone it with hypey technologies and colors and, and like fads and whatnot, kind of in the same way that Kessley has a little bit. Um, and Stokely is to foes in that these are folks that really appreciate their hydroformed aluminum frame, their Kernut shocks and handcrafted in California design and aren't going to let you convince them that there is anything better out there. All right, then. I guess we take it to the ski world. So, or did we already with the Kessley and Stokely? Do we care to refresh those? And again, I do, I do like the way that we kind of phrase this is, I'm not hating on Stokely as a company or Kessley. I am kind of hating on some of the people who can be found at ski areas on this stuff and can be found in the comments section of certain websites like, say, Blister. <laughs> um, those people need to ease the fuck up. All right, next question. And this one's really interesting because two years ago, we didn't really have that much to say about this. And I'm curious to hear from you guys on this question of... Um, custom bike makers or kind of custom manufacturing going on in the bike industry. We've got a lot of custom ski manufacturers. I think that's become a bigger thing in the ski world. So does the whole custom manufacturing on the bike side, maybe not frames, but I don't know, frames or components, does this question translate more to 2020 than it did two years ago? Yeah, I think a little bit. Um, certainly there are a billion companies out there, most of them pretty small, who will make you a custom hardtail or a road bike or a gravel bike or what have you. But there are also a few more companies out there doing custom or semi-custom full suspension bikes. Uh, Nikolai will let you get real weird and mess with the geometry on their bikes. Um, Starling is doing custom geometry front triangles that you made up to their off-the-shelf rear triangle if you want to do that. Same deal with BTR. And then you've got companies like former robot bikes that has sort of semi-morphed into 
Atherton bikes that they're doing this thing where they have 3D printed titanium lugs and carbon fiber tubes going between them. And given the custom nature of the 3D printed lugs, they could theoretically do custom geometry on a full suspension bike there too. Those haven't really come to market as Atherton's yet, but it seems like a direction they're going. And as 3D printing additive manufacturing technology improves, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see some more companies doing something similar. Noah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it really just comes down to how you define custom because like David said, there's, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a million different companies that'll make you a a nice custom hardtail out of a couple of different materials. Um, there's a few companies doing custom full suspension bikes, but really I feel like the heart of the question is more just getting it really small companies, you know, the custom ski makers, it, it still feels a little different, but they feel more equivalent to some of the companies like Revel and, and uh, maybe Gorilla Gravity and uh, Esker. There's, there's a, uh, quite a few of these smaller companies that are putting out they're not custom bikes, but they might give you a custom build kit on it. The geometry is what it is for the most part. But yeah, they're just small companies that are putting out a nice product that's, I think, equivalent to some of these uh, custom ski makers or at least some of the very small ski uh, ski manufacturers. So yeah, I think there's more of those around than there were two or three years ago. I'm not sure that there's any direct equivalence to be drawn like this, you know, this bike company is the equivalent of Wagner or something like that. I I think they're all so small that they're all fairly unique, both on the bike and ski side. Eric. I think you could make a case for um, translating it more to companies which are allowing you to custom spec bikes um, so your your custom bike builder sites online that are pretty popular these days, I think we'll continue to see more of those in the future, and and that being like a, a growing segment. But it's it's a little harder for me to see truly custom bikes uh, translating well from skis, just with the increased overhead and complexity and the number of different manufacturers and providers that contribute to just getting one bike underneath you as compared to skis. All right. Last two questions. What bike company, if any, has a super hot reputation, but maybe isn't building bikes that are as good as their hype or reputation would warrant? I think evil is at least getting dangerously close to that in that it feels like they made some really some bikes that people were really excited about a few years ago and they're not bad bikes now but it seems like at least to this point they have been resting on their laurels really hard with those and haven't updated them in any significant and meaningful way in a while and the geometry starting to look pretty dated relative to the fairly dramatic changes that are happening in the bike world. And I think that maybe they're not quite there yet, but if they don't start updating their line a bit more aggressively, they are getting kind of close to being there. Noah? 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think evil's the right answer for the uh, for the reasons David said. I think, well, getting back to what Eric said earlier, evil risks going down the road of where intense is now, where you know they're they're sort of trying to band aid and do some weird stuff with their bikes to try to make them look more attractive, but without actually fixing the underlying issues. But yeah, I mean, really for that question, I think it's evil. Eric. Uh, Just to be different, I'm going to throw out Turner bikes in terms of uh, a brand with a, a lot of loyalty and a lot of people that for a long time paid a lot of attention to them, but have, Really not done much of late. I'm going to go with okay. Turner. Yeah, that's a good answer too. I mean, I think they have, even at this point, kind of burned a lot of the strong brand capital that they had at one point. But certainly for a company that made a bunch of really good bikes and had a very good reputation at at one point in time that's fallen off pretty badly, they're a very good answer. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I've seen a Turner, but those used to be great bikes. But they still make them, and they're still. I mean, you know, I think they, I think they still sell a fair number of their like shorter travel twenty niners. But there's only so many people buying them. Wow, this is like a sad, the saddest <laughs> question of the night. Um, on the ski side, same question. Hot reputation. Maybe the product isn't quite there, you know, to match the reputation. David Golay. Well, this is, I guess, another one where the reputation has kind of probably largely gone, but it was recently brought to my attention that Volant is still around, but is <laughs> like making uh, just basically marketing themselves as like an ultra luxury ski brand for some reason. Um, their website is just baffling if you take a, a lap through that. It's super, super weird. I kind of forgot about that. Is that the... There was a company that was making like $2,000, $3,000 skis, but I didn't think that was Volant. And then I think this company made like an $11,000. Wasn't it uh, like, was it Zag or something like that? It's not Zag, but you're getting warmer. It was like, if you, it's like if you were at one of those parties in Eyes Wide Shut, (laughs) these are the skis you ski on, right? Like, definitely. We need to track, we'll track this down for a... for for part two. They're very sexual, but in a weird way. I yeah, can't yeah. speak to the price exactly, but that is 100% how Volant is marketing themselves now. We'll do some work on this for the Eyes Wide Shut. I love this, like the Eyes Wide Shut ski. Um, I don't think there's really an Eyes Wide Shut bike that I'm aware of, but um, maybe we'll have to come up, see if there's a contender for that uh, for part two. Whose turn is it? Eric Friesen. I keep apparently trying to make the case for Armada for some reason, but uh, another a brand that you know I, I think of as having a pretty big history of hype and putting out some pretty excellent skis, and not to say that they're not now, but I just I don't get as excited about what Armada is doing these days as I used to. Weak answer. Wait, so I think you get your answer was Armada, both for whose reputation has 
outkicked <laughs> the coverage when it comes to actual product, but also the company you think has like the most upside. Correct. I guess that's coherent. All right. All right. They're at the bottom of their curve. Exactly. Like I, I see, I see good future potential, I guess. But get your shit together. That's the Eric Friesen take on Armada. Yeah. I would have to go with faction. I think two years ago, there were some questions about faction or black crows earning this and in part because two years ago both companies' reputations were so hot. I mean, so in a way it's almost just like by no fault of their own other than being like really cool and really coveted, it kind of makes it hard to have any product live up to that. But I do think like, you know, Faction has had some durability issues they've switched factories and that is just a company that i think there is a lot of potential but i do think that i'd like to see them really start dialing in whatever it is that they're you know whatever product they're putting out and uh there's maybe a little bit of that with black crows as well but yeah that's my answer all right last question our work here is done what bike brand wins in terms of brand loyalty. So in other words, once you are an owner of a bike from company X, you are probably always going to be an owner of a bike from company X. David Golay. I think for this one is uh, pretty clearly Yeti. They have just a very maniacal fan base who really, really love their Yetis and wouldn't think of buying anything else. Noah? Yeah, I mean, Yeti certainly tries the hardest to kind of build uh, build their brand image around lifelong owners. I would suspect that, you know, with the whole coronavirus thing and, and the dentist's office mostly being shut down, <laughs> that that might impact it because it's going to be hard to buy another one uh, when you got no fillings to fill. I think, honestly transition is is kind of making a go with this they don't build their brand around it quite in the same way that yeti does but yeah it, it does seem just anecdotally the transition owners i know they're all they they seem to be excited to buy another transition in the future but yeah i mean yeti's not wrong freeson i'm gonna go with most relevant answer ibis uh, but most brand loyalty, light speed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding though. So I find myself, no, you're not I find myself in the, in the garages of, you know, some of Crested Butte's most affluent homeowners for doing nothing nefarious podcast listeners. Um, <laughs> no, that sounded that sounded illegal. Yeah, not totally, totally illegal. But when I look up into the rafters and I see fifteen years of bikes languishing, hanging, the brand that is most often represented in subsequent generations is Lightspeed. And uh, so that's that's my true answer. But in terms of like relevant to more like who's listening and what we're talking to. I see a lot of people who buy an Ibis 
kind of fall in love with their uh, their approach, their corporate culture, um, their even like their emails that they send out, and uh, it keeps people coming back for more more of the same in future future bike purchases. Yeah, Ibis was. I mean, I think if Yeti is maybe the sort of obvious answer, Ibis is the one that. I was most interested in sort of being the right answer to this question. And I, I mean it, I mean, if Noah, damn Noah, uh, we're actually all like, I love the Yeti SB 130. Friesen's been riding it. Dylan Woods has been riding it. Golay, like it's a good bike just for the oh, record. I, I, like, I don't mean to say that the Yetis are bad bikes at all. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. if you spend seven grand on a bike and it better be good. <laughs> it better be good. But I think Ibis has done just a really nice job. Like I see the appeal, right? And so I'd like to second Friesen's answer, not so much on Lightspeed, but yeah, with Ibis. Brand loyalty question on the ski side. Once you buy from this brand, you're going to keep buying from this brand for the rest of your life. What's the analogy, David Golay? Oh, and we kind of hit on this, but uh, I think... Kessley is a pretty strong answer. The people who are into their Kessleys are just aren't buying anything else. I think maybe a less obvious one. Um, I know a few people who are really strong devotees of Dina star who are just super into stuff like the pro rider and are going to continue coming back for more on that front and have their, thing that they have going there that they're really into um i think those are my two best answers for that noah yeah i was gonna say dina star yeah but i i think it gets trickier these days because i think a lot of the a lot of the skis that really built a cult following over the years the companies have screwed them all up and you know whitened them up and taken out the metal and dumbed them down and so the cult following kind of falls apart which is like the story of vocal um and to a lesser extent it's the story of dina star uh and so yeah i don't know it's a it's a little bit of a tricky question but i do like the dina star answer i was gonna say vocal yeah i mean you just people seem to have 40 pairs of those things in their garage they're gonna have 40 pairs of anything <laughs> again as you're creeping through yeah, everybody's I mean, garage. Um, Brandon should be paying me for this market research. Why are they not? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I would like to, I think it's probably Kesley or Stokely. I mean, we're talking about a much smaller number of people, but yeah, I'm not kidding. Like there are still the Stokely fans out there that it's just like, they just, they just, they have to try not to vomit in their mouths when they see people <laughs> in the lift lines on, you know, just garbage from Blizzard or Moment or whatever. Um, so to those people, you are the most set in your ways. Um, so I think that's it. Um while we didn't necessarily talk about such a big diversity of brands here, this is what part two is for. And so we're going to encourage people, one, in the show notes to this episode, 
give us your answers to the questions that we asked here in part one. Curious to hear what you all think. And then in part two, we're going to go in much more of a kind of rapid fire way and start just going through like, so who is the pivot cycles of the ski world, right? We're going to talk about pivot and we'll maybe ask the YT analogy and we've got a ton of different companies that we can talk about. Um, but so we're going to, our plan, this one, we kind of went slow and took our time with just really remarkable answers, you know, from the three of you. Episode two, we move quicker and try to come with our best analogies. So David Golay, Noah Bodman, Eric Friesen, thank you guys. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much hate mail we get from this episode, or maybe we even get some agreement. Other than that, I'll talk to you folks real soon. And we'll talk to you, dear listeners, very soon as well. All right, everybody, take care. Bye. See you later. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And now it is your turn. So be sure to head over to the show notes of this episode on the Blister website to leave your very insightful remarks or angry diatribes in the comments section. And then we will be dropping part two of Bikes versus Skis in two weeks. Finally, I want to say thanks to Jared Farley for producing this episode. And until next time, please take good care out there and we will talk to you again next week.